Nigeria has seen a rise in cases of sexual and gender-based violence in recent times. From battery to rape to children being violated, the cases seem never-ending. Some of the victims have regrettably died horrific deaths. One sad outcome of these cases is the fact that the perpetrators are hardly brought to justice as the system seems skewed in their favor. How can the scales of justice be tipped to favor the victim? I'm Imiene Irame, and this episode of Women of Nigeria is a conversation with Dorothy Njamanzi, founder of the Dorothy Njamanzi Foundation. She is in the front line of the fight to get justice for victims of domestic and sexual-based violence. You are, let me use this word in quote, notorious for championing the cause of abuse victims. How for you did this journey begin? I personally am an abuse survivor, so I mean, I've survived different kinds of abuse and I see the need to, I mean, being one that survived different kinds of abuse, I know the gaps that exist in responding to people who survive abuse and I see the very strong need to step in and see how I can bridge the gap because I know that a lot of people have made um, abuse trends um, have, have made abuse trendy and because they've made abuse trendy it has become part of their culture they've, they've seen it as a way of life and I see the need to disrupt that in the interest of human rights okay so how has it been how has the experience disrupting this their culture been the experience of disrupting the culture of um, the entrenched culture of um, um, glorifying abuse in different ways, especially against women and other vulnerable groups of people like children, youths, uh, persons with disabilities, you now have rural dwellers because there's a lot of power dynamics that don't favor these people I have mentioned. So the process has not been easy. The thing with people, the thing with power is, you know, um, that thing with absolute power, it corrupts. And there's been a lot of impunity that has been in place. So those with power are trying to hold on to power. But those without power know that they have a right to power. And nobody would give you a seat at the table. You have to take the seat. So to ensure people are demoralized and don't look forward to, you know, trying to get a, a seat at the table. There's all sorts of, um, all sorts of ideologies, all sorts of um, systems have been put in place to vilify those who dare to balance, you know, what is, and or who dare to disrupt unfair systems that ex- exist. It's not been an easy one, but. You see, when you've taken away everything possible you can from people like me, what we have to lose now reduces by the day. At a point, I saw no need to stay alive. Now, I do a lot of things I do. I'm very much inspired by those who lean, who look up to me, who who feel they draw some strength from me. I don't even know where they see the strength they are drawing. I'm just doing what I feel should be done. But then you see other people say, oh, I was going through this, I was going through worse. And when I saw the way you were fighting, it gave me an idea that, oh, it's okay to fight. And then 
before you know it, we are becoming an army fighting. And so, yeah, it's not easy, but I can tell you that it's totally worth it and there's no plans to back down. Okay, so I like that phrase, it's okay to fight. So what does fighting in your everyday life mean? <laughs> in everyday terms? Yes. <clears throat> Every normal human being wants to participate in society. Fighting means participating in society as a human being. That's fighting. Um, a lot of things that exist have made certain groups of people not to be able to participate in society. But we're expected to be dormant in society and be, you know, make appearance only when we are needed. For instance, during election, to vote for whoever they want to. I mean, sign, languages in, sign language interpreters don't turn up on, on TV except during elections or whenever, um, whatever. Just check it out. It must be something related to elections. It must be something related to where many people need to take a decision. And so, how about the daily things that help society thrive? Um, daily um, health issues, daily news, daily issues that make it to the news, whatever it is, how the stocks are doing in the markets, um, how safety on the highways are, how new policies in schools can benefit the public, um, general safety announcements, um, the number of political parties that still remain or have been deregistered or are about to be registered, um, those kind of things. Those are the everyday things that enable people to participate in society. But without sign language, when it comes to talking about those everyday things, it means that you're not permitting them to participate, the deaf community to participate in society. And that's just for the deaf community. For people who are sufferers or who, who, who survived some kind of abuse, you know, victims of abuse, before you become a survivor, there has to be systems that have helped you to attain some degree of healing, right? Some degree of consciousness that you survived the thing. But if you are still exposed to systems that further traumatize you really seriously, you're still a victim, you are not yet on a healing path. Healing is still a mirage to you. So, um, for abuse survivors, participating in society is... <laughs> It's a dream. In the first instance, many people are written off the moment some abuse happens to them. They are told things like, oh, you're now a broken vessel. Nothing can happen with you again. They're not broken vessels. Um, if anything breaks them, it is the fact that you're not giving them an opportunity to heal. Because even with broken vessels, there's so much you can do with a broken vessel. You can use bits of it from, uh, as ornaments. You can use um, bits so many bits from the same thing to do different things at the same time. So it means that when you're broken, chances are that you can also do a lot more. You can function, but you can function in different ways. But in this case, you're told, oh, you're broken, don't even bother doing anything, you know. So the response protocols to sexual and gender-based violence, for instance, um, doesn't permit many people to participate in society. 
to participate in society, you need justice. Mm -hmm. And justice means different things to different people. But the systems have tried to box everybody who has gone through sexual and gender-based violence into one box and feels all you need is to go to police, institute a report if you can, and in some cases you may be lucky that legal aid may have ability to take up your case on paper, not necessarily in practice, and all those kind of things. Or you should be lucky and then you're, <clears throat> you, you make it to the photo ops of God knows who, and then somebody would, um, somebody would be kind enough to give you some kind of charity that would expose you to access to justice. That's what fighting, everyday, everyday fighting is. And because of with sexual and gender-based violence, the prevalence of violence is on women children, persons with disabilities. And now I always talk about those in between because everybody is not either man or woman. There are those in between. So, because they have traits of males and females, strong traits of males and females. And so the issues related to those people haven't even been looked into by the Nigerian government. And it's a total disservice. And there are over 40 variations of that condition I'm talking of, of the in, being intersex. There are over 40 variations of the condition. We still have people throwing their children away in the villages because they don't understand why a child should have male and female features. So, yeah, these exist. So fighting is participating in society. Fighting has been the desire to participate in society. And as a human being, it's a natural instinct to just participate in society. It's like it's totally natural to participate in society as a human being. And yeah. So do you think um, cases of abuse of minors, cases of abuse of women? Is it growing? Is it getting better? Are we seeing a reduction or are we seeing a rise? Some people say it may seem like there's a rise because people are open to speaking out more. Pe more people are speaking out. Do you agree? But for the fact that technology exists now and there's more awareness, a lot of the cases we're hearing about today we will not have heard. So I would say there's an increase in reportage. It has always been really bad. Much as it has been bad, there are also so many enabling factors that per permit the trend to keep growing. So it means that if there's a growing trend, we can't deny that, despite the fact there's increase in reportage, there's also increase in the crimes. And why is there a growing trend? There's a growing trend because perpetrators believe nothing can happen to them. Perpetrators believe there's no consequences for actions. After all, this is Nigeria and nothing would happen. All I need to know is one senator. All I need to know is one big man in the police, even if he's a DPO. All I need to know is one SARS officer. All I need to know is one uh, religious leader who would um, pull down the power of religious blackmail to shut down every attempt to get justice. So these things actually exist. And... So, <laughs> I went blank. <laughs> I'm talking about reportage, yeah. 
So, um, if we look at, for instance, response protocols to sexual and gender-based violence, it's getting better. Compared to where we were before, it's getting better. But compared to where we should be, it is terrible. It's a disgrace. A lot should happen. Um, there's supposed to be sex offenders register, but the basics that should enable, the basic documentation that should trigger an investigation that would end up with having somebody in the sex offenders register is all faulty. So it means that the root causes of a lot of things are not addressed. There are just a lot of things put out there to make it look like a lot of things are happening. With um, if, if something happens to a two-year-old child in Abuja, which is the federal capital territory of Nigeria, there truly are no real-time measures that the two-year-old can latch on to to get justice. And if the two-year-old in Abuja, remember it is two years old, the person does not have a job, the person can barely express the person's self. If that is the fate of a two-year-old in Abuja, you can now imagine what the fate of adults is. And so these are real pointers to the fact that, yeah, the reports, uh, reportage is higher because more people are aware, more people are... More people now have the impetus to seek justice, which was a big barrier in times past. And the impetus more people are having to seek justice has a trigger effect, has a ripple effect. So it's making other people to, you know, toe the same line. A few people have gotten justice and it's inspired other people to dare to attempt to see if they can get justice. So, yeah. Okay, so in seeking justice for cases of abuse... I understand one thing that the society demonizes the adult mm -hmm. female mm -hmm. who was raped. You know, as a, so there's more sympathy, for instance, for like two year old, even mm -hmm. though, like you said, there's no mechanism, you know, nothing protocol in place is not, you know, so great to get justice for the two year old. How do you go about fighting for these adults who are daily abused? You know, so this, the, the two-year-old, you know, there's outrage. Everyone is outraged that, you man, how do you do this to it? But for the adult, you know, it's all her fault. I mean, how can you dress and wear hijab? You know, men get attracted to hijab. Mm. The hijab you want now, your breast was showing inside. Why? I mean, this is hijab we're talking mm -hmm. about. So how do you... I can tell you from a point of knowledge that even children get the same backlash. A lot of children who are sexually violated are said to have enticed the people or seduced the people that violated them. In religious places or spaces, in, around their homes, in the schools, the children were said to have um, seduced their perpetrators. And this idea of seduction of perpetrators will never stop until we are clear that every human being has capacity to apply self-control. You don't go window shopping and start picking everything in the person's shop. You apply self-control because they'll, you'll be labeled a thief. So why do you even see people who you are attracted to for whatever the reason and then violate them? But when it comes to the violation of human beings as against inanimate objects that are seen in shops, the blame is shifted to 
the person who is violated and not the violator. That's the problem we have here. It doesn't affect only adults. It affects adults as much as it affects children. We've been told that an eight-year-old who was serially raped around massacre couldn't be... Uh, the case couldn't be investigated by police because she was promiscuous. How, do, how does an eight-year-old... <laughs> how do you explain an eight-year-old promiscuous? And then we have a lot of... Um, our systems currently enable date rape. Our systems currently enable marital rape. And you see, the enabling is premised on the fact that the woman's emotions do not count. Once a man needs sex, if a woman has been stupid enough to agree to a relationship with him, platonic or not, once a man, the man needs sex, it is his right. And that violates the rights of the woman. And there have been so many mischievous people that have come to say, but our mothers did not have a say during their times of our mothers. And we loved our mothers. And so why should you come up now to have a say? If the mothers of those people had the opportunities that exist today, I bet many of those mothers would have subscribed. But whether or not they would have subscribed, I am not their mother. And I should not be subjected to what they were subjected to. The mothers chose to be in those situations. The mothers were okay with it. I am not okay with it. And I am human enough to matter. And that's what counts. Now, sympathy for adults who are sexually violated. I mean, we should empathize on the grounds of humanity. Because so many times people think the adults that are raped are females. Many times, adults that are raped are males and those in between. And so, if the prevalence of the figures that we see, or figures, or I, I don't like to refer to human beings as inanimate, if the prevalence of the number of cases that we see is from females and there's nothing that addresses females, it naturally sounds like a deterrent to those who are supposed to be seen as victors, who are the men, strong, courageous, or whatever, and so they are not supposed to complain of petty things like rape, or the in-between who have not even been identified as human beings, and yet they're talking about rape, you know. So, real issues, it boils down again to the fact that a lot of people have not understood that every human being is an emotional being with human rights. When we get to that point, a lot of these issues will be solved. It means we'll stop asking the woman, what were you wearing? It means we'll start asking the man, why didn't you behave yourself around the woman? It means we'll start asking the man when she said no, why didn't you stop? It means we'll start asking the woman who didn't listen to the man when he said he didn't want this, why didn't you stop? Because abusers are human. Abusers are males. Abusers are females. We need to identify that abusers could be anyone that is a human being. And victims are everyone that is a human being. And that ends the first part of this conversation with Dorothy. Thank you for listening. Do join us next time as we conclude this conversation with Dorothy in Germansy.